0: I've been working hard to create a new resource for you, and I'm excited to share that over 70 people have joined the Content and Connection Club, an intentional community of abundant-minded entrepreneurs where you can ask questions, get support, find friends, make referrals, and celebrate your wins. I'll share more details at the end of this episode, or you can go to contentandconnectionclub.com to find out all the resources and networking events you get to attend for just $25 a month. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest is on a mission to change academic culture from negativity and chronic stress to one where people express their unique brilliance and live a joyful, happy life. She grew up in Berlin, Germany and completed a PhD in neuroscience in Munich before relocating to the US to pursue her passion for brain research. She's an associate professor at an internationally renowned research university and academic medal center in the U.S. She's also the founder and head coach at Team Leadership in Research, a business that delivers leadership and management training programs for academic research teams. She became a personal development and leadership nerd during her postdoctoral training, initially to increase her competitiveness for faculty appointments. She discovered she could use these strategies to create a happier, balanced life, and increase her chances of success. That led her to train as a life coach to help other academics achieve similar results. Please join me welcoming Dr. Stephanie Rubel.
1: Thank you. It's great being here.
0: Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us from your home office in Birmingham, Alabama. Thrilled to have you here. And as I mentioned, this is a show about building strong networks. The context though is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: So to me, leadership means having a vision and then taking responsibility for getting there. Uh, importantly, I think that leadership starts with leading yourself. So you have a vision for your life, you know, for all these different categories that are important, your career, your relationships, your health. Um, and then you take full responsibility for the results that you're getting. If you don't like the results, you change something. <laughs> so that's leading, you know, self. Uh, and so leading self, I think, is the first thing to focus on. But then in group or team settings, this means that you know where your group is going and you put yourself in charge of getting everyone moving in this direction, you know, getting them fired up pulling everyone together, creating a great culture, and by coaching team members to overcome whatever gets in the way. So in other words, to me, you know, leadership has very little to do with the position that you're in, although I find that people who operate from great personal power may find themselves in leadership positions. And that's kind of how I realized I had an aptitude for leading. So I repeatedly found myself in charge of things (laughs) because I was, I think because I was willing to take responsibility for getting results. And that sounds kind of heavy, but it's really not, you know, I enjoy being in charge, moving fast, getting results.
0: I really like this, this definition about um, one, you know, knowing, knowing the vision that you have for yourself and for the group that you're, you're in and then getting getting to the point of the results, and if you're not happy with how things are turning out, you know, taking some responsibility for that, and then trying something new, your focus on leading self first is is really helpful because a lot of times, if people don't have direct reports, if they're not, um, if they don't have a team that re- you know reports to them, they might feel like, well, I don't really have a leadership role, but they one could be leading themselves, and two as a peer could be influencing others and helping everyone get to that end goal. So it sounds like that you're giving people a lot more room for figuring out their place in this world of leadership. And that you yourself, as you were saying, when you have that aptitude and people see that in you, then often you get opportunities for more formal roles that might have like a title attached to it. But even if you don't have that, you can still have that influence. Is there a particular moment you started to realize that was happening? Is it something that happened early in your life or was it as you started getting into your career? Like at what point did you see people were noticing you and giving you more opportunities?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like it started early. I was a teenager and back then I was like all about horses. (laughs) So I was learning to ride and work with horses and not very long after starting there, I often was the first there and the last to leave. And so pretty soon I was in charge of getting horses ready for lessons, feeding, cleaning stalls, um, and then later for giving lessons and teaching others how to take care of the horses. So I think part of that then also was a persistence, you know, even um, doing doing all this stuff, not just the fun stuff, you know, not just the writing, also the taking care of horses. Um, And then later, you know, from there, I was in charge of school projects, um, in charge of university research projects. And, you know, I think I... I don't just naturally have leadership skills. I mean, I have this willingness to take responsibility and be accountable for the results. And it's also easy for me to understand systems and processes and see where they can be optimized. So I think that helps. Uh, but I continuously hone my leadership skills, uh, such as communication, just to give you an idea, you know, I didn't always have that like a long, for a long time. I think I got results because when I saw things falling apart or the team not pulling together, I would just pick up the slack. But then over time, I learned that, you know, (laughs) you can't scale like that. So I needed to develop my communication skills and skills influencing others in order to make sure that everybody knew what their role is on the team and where we want to go together
0: such an important distinction between you know you picking up the slack and working you know hours and hours over time to try to patch up where there's there are holes in the project plan versus inspiring and encouraging and influencing others to take on the responsibility for their part and supporting them if they need training or accountability or they can't get to it, like giving people the space to say as much that they're all kind of all rowing in the same direction um, on the same boat. I'm actually really curious though, Stephanie, because you're saying how this started um, with that, um, with the horses, but I have a feeling that you were actually that same person even before then. So if you go back to even like being on you know in grade school, primary school on the playground, or, you know, in high school, were you the kind of person even then that, You know, you know, systems where you like the person to sort of organize things, where you're getting your friends together, you're nodding a little bit. So teachers start to notice that even when you're younger, right?
1: Yeah. I think for early on, you know, I found myself in charge and you speak about organization. It's funny because I used to joke that playing for me was thinking about the system and like mapping that out and setting everything up. And then once it was ready to play I was done you know I'm like now you go play
0: <laughs> Yeah it's funny that you you thrive in an area that a lot of people just don't even want to touch like the the processes and systems and setup stuff is where a lot of people falter. They they're excited about the idea, but not about how to make it happen. And you're excited about getting the idea off the ground and then letting other people run with it, which is good because people need you know we need people like you out in the world helping us, which makes sense now for the work you're doing today. I'm I'm curious when you went off uh, to school, did you have a clear sense of what you wanted to study and and what you wanted to do in life when you were heading off to to university?
1: Um, so I think I was very heavily influenced by my parents, honestly, um, when I started out. So I was always curious about biology, how our bodies function, how life works in a sense. And so that is what I started out studying and then I was good at it. So I just kept studying that, you know, it was like, in a sense, a little bit like the lazy approach. Um, and then I, you know, in academic research, the path is very well mapped out, which made it easy for me to just keep going. I feel like the first time I really, like, thought about what is it that you really want, you know, not what other people want you to do, was later, after I had moved to the U.S., And when I started running into people outside of academia, like business owners, entrepreneurs, I really identified with that community. And I was like, hey, you are my people. I think I want to do that. And that is how I actually ended up starting a business, (laughs) like on the side.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because when you came to the States, you already had a PhD. So you're really like deeply entrenched in academia. And that's a whole world, you know, in itself. And there is a very clear career path to follow. And it's all about publishing and advancing and being known and all that. And, and it's, you can get really caught up in that, but it sounds like you started to meet. I'm curious how you started to meet actually. How, How, how did you start meeting these entrepreneurs and these coaches? Cause in some ways in academia, you can be kind of insulated from that part of, of the world. So, where were you crossing paths with people who were not following the academic track?
1: Yeah, I think I got lucky. You know, there was like an element of luck to it and there was an element, uh, I mean, it was really due to my desire to grow. And also again, like coming back to these leadership aptitudes or skills, my desire to be prepared So I was a postdoctoral training um, because there's like another training period after the PhD to really prepare you (laughs) for doing or leading a research team. And so during that period of time, I realized that if I want to be successful in this world, I need to know how to write grants. And so I came across a former academic also who made it her business to teach academics how to write powerful grant proposals, and so that was kind of my entry point into this whole world of business and entrepreneurship. And at the same time, I had also become interested in, in a sense, you know, like our uh, like personal power and. You know, focusing on um, potential in a sense, the human potential, and what we can leverage by adjusting our mindset and examining our beliefs, and so that together kind of drove me into this direction, where I was like, "Hey, there is this world outside of academia, and there there is much more to success than just checking the boxes." and At the same time, I can really set myself up for success and gain a competitive edge if I take these approaches that people have pursued outside of academia for a longer time, right, and and take that and bring that into this world.
0: Yeah, I've long said that uh, the most innovative ideas come from sort of the edges of our networks. And so if you only had been following best practices that academics had taken before you, there would be no innovation. You would just be doing the tried and true, this is, you know, publish or perish. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> and if if you started to become aware of these, ac- these entrepreneurs who were supporting academics, which is a really interesting crossover mm-hmm. that initially you discovered this woman just because you were trying to be prepared and have you know, have the knowledge you felt you needed to 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 not rely on other people entirely. But you noticed like that that was a thing. there there's there's academics and there's former academics that know there's certain needs. and you started paying attention to that in person' development. and it sort of opens up a whole world for you. But I will say the path you were on was a very clear path of what success is and how do you know whether you're getting close to that you know milestones that you hit but the world of entrepreneurship is vastly different. Um, how did you begin to wrap your head around wanting to go into this and, and laying out a path? I mean, like, as you said, it was sort of a side hustle. So it helps that you didn't, you weren't like giving up on <laughs> the career you'd had, but how do you know you're, you're on a success path as you're building out the business? I think
1: it really has to do with, Not just, not just being in love with what the services that I offer, but really having very close relationships with the people that I serve. And, you know, I get this feedback and I've, I have these two stories in a sense. One is my own story. So, you know, from kind of overwhelmed and slightly frustrated postdoc in the academic world, thinking about whether that's really the thing that I want to continue doing, to realizing that a lot of feeling frustrated and overwhelmed and anxious is something that I create myself with my thoughts, you know, and that if I work on my, like, there's nobody who needs to fix that for me. I have the power to fix that for myself. So going through this journey of empowerment myself showed me that it's, I mean, you know, like being in an environment that's toxic and disempowering certainly does not help. But sometimes we're doing that ourselves in addition to what other people do. And just adjusting that piece um, gave me great personal power, I felt like. And so then I have started taking clients through a similar journey of, you know, developing their skills, but also helping them empower themselves and just seeing people change from, you know, I work with women mostly from, from feeling like they're kind of a misfit because they are really driven, but at the same time, they also want more out of life. You know, they were, they want a certain amount of balance, um, but they want don't want to be put in, into a drawer, like taking them through this journey and have them realize, you know, help them realize that they can have everything they want and not kill themselves in the process. Like that really helps me, you know, stay on track and know that I am, I am on track and I see, you know, there, there are other businesses popping up now too doing similar services. Um, and I feel like that my peers, other research team leaders are looking for that kind of help. So that, that helps, you know? Yeah, Um,
0: absolutely. Yeah. When you were first getting started in business, did you have any particular challenges? Like, how did you decide, you know, what was, I mean, clearly you had certain content knowledge, being in academia, you don't have to sell anything. You don't have to line up clients in the same way, you know, Um, you don't have to like lead with the value, right? It's very different, even if you're Mm -hmm. doing similar work. So how did you get support for all these, you know, business related um, sort of strategies that you maybe hadn't had a lot of experience with?
1: Yes. So, and like one thing just to put this up front that I realized is that if you bring these business strategies into academia, you actually have a better time, you know, selling what you do. Like, you know, I mean, because in a sense there is selling involved. It's just that that tends to be a Uh, negative word or a word with a negative connotation and so people shrink away from it and they focus all on the facts when in academia we actually do the same thing we sell stories (laughs) Uh, how did I acquire this This, yeah there was like a great like a huge learning curve for me I was so uncomfortable doing this selling marketing um, part of it It helped a little bit. So, in the beginning, I worked in another business. And so, you know, I had the advantage of selling their stuff, which I think is a little bit easier, maybe dependent on your level of confidence than selling your own stuff. Um, But so, over time, I just developed that confidence. And also, I did a lot of trainings. I really heavily invested in myself in terms of like sales training. Um, marketing, business training. I still do that. It's really like kind of what, helps me grow.
0: Stephanie, what year did you formally begin doing the business part?
1: My own business. I really, I mean, you know, it's on paper, it's been in existence since 2013, but I would say I really started doing my own thing, building my own programs in 2020. So a couple of years ago,
0: a couple of years ago, but you, but Mm -hmm. in that time, so that means there were seven years where you were working for uh, on behalf of another business, you were taking training. So you were, I mean, it sounds like there's a through line here, which is you like to be prepared. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So So I, yeah, I started something, you know, and like, like many people, I wasn't immediately successful. So I gave up for a little while. Um, And then during that time, I worked in the other business, or I worked in the other business starting in 2017, I think. And so I became the head coach there and I led um, some of the coaching programs. And there was a lot of uh, skill development and growth for me during that time.
0: Yeah, I had the opportunity to work with a company um, that I was on a team of coaches in 2019 and 2020, and it, it's interesting because I hadn't been part of a company since I guess 2014, so it was about mm-hmm. five years had gone by, and there were really some benefits to having that. You know, it wasn't something I wanted to do forever, but it was such a great opportunity because there was um, thoughtful onboarding, there was ongoing training and supervision, and a lot of things. Just as a solopreneur, you know, business owner, you don't really get that. Uh, you can build it by having good coaches and a good team, but it was, it was really a lot of on the ground learning. And it sounds like that's kind of what the experience you ended up getting in 2017. And then you were able to apply it to the business you were, had been wanting to do early on though, when you were first starting with, with your business, you said you really started in 2013 in or so, and it it didn't take off. Was that because you had an idea, but you didn't quite have the right audience for it? Like what was the mismatch?
1: I had an idea um, and I had some advice on how to pull this off, like how to get started pretty simple. Um, And of course I had to do sales and back then I, I was just really uncomfortable getting on the phone with people and talking to them about what I had to offer.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I've, I've met with lots of uh, academics who are, Interested in moving into entrepreneurship in one form or another, Um, and they all have like a rewiring in their head for that they have to do around what what does selling mean and what does it mean to say value and like what I don't want to talk about myself (laughs) and all these like they're not used to being the person who's talked about they've they have their work you know and I think it could be difficult by that time were you starting to develop a community of entrepreneurs that you were part of so you had people even as peers, not just people you were getting trained by, but people you can sort of seek out for feedback and accountability?
1: Yes. So through, I was part of a mastermind um, and I met people like in academia, but with a really entrepreneurial mindset in this mastermind. And I don't know, like, I think most of them actually dropped out of academia and have their own gigs going now. So these people are part of my network and they've been really helpful, but also then through um, events and trainings that I attended, I met a lot of other professionals and business owners, entrepreneurs who I stayed in contact with. And I feel like, you know, it's really about building these relationships and, you know, Zoom world now opens up the world to us essentially. And, you know, Of course, that's been going on for quite some time, but I feel like in this world of hustle, sometimes where nobody has time, it's really about, you know, taking these relationships, taking these contacts that you make and make it into a relationship, like really like nurturing them and maintaining them.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the the connections you met through the trainings you attended, because I think for me, my sort of worldview, I always think about that when I'm deciding whether or not to say yes to an opportunity. Um, There's actually like a, there's a mastermind I was just invited to participate in. And like, I keep going back and forth about whether I want to do it. And then a friend of mine who I really enjoy wrote me to say he signed up And he was like, I don't know if you know about this, but I signed up. And then I was like, oh, I want to rethink this again. Like like just knowing, I'm like, wait, you're going to be part of that? Oh, that's interesting. I wonder who else is going to be part of it. Like I couldn't let it, I thought I would let it go. I was like, oh, I'm done. I don't need to do this. And then I'm like, oh, wait, who's going to be there? So for you, as you were getting started, it sounds like seeking out training provided both the content you needed, the information to feel empowered and ready to do this yourself or, or know how to hire the right people to do it but you also thoughtfully stayed in touch with some of the people you connected with. What were some of the things you did though, to actually make those not just like one time connections? Like how did you turn that into friendships and relationships that, you know, maybe you still have today?
1: Yeah. I would say masterminds are a good way to do this. I do find it challenging to stay in contact with people you know, without their system being in place. That helps us say, uh, you know, this is a dedicated time that we set aside every month or whatever to get together. Um, Traveling together, I think is fun. Like either to other events or um, what we've done a few times is just getting together to work together.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like co-working, um, like yeah. online co-working. Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny. That's a great option actually. I never, we've never talked about it on here, but I mean, um, you and I met through Paya Robbins, who's my um, now assistant for the last two plus years. And she and I, um, we have a regular meeting, but we also try to meet on a regular basis to do, we, we call it battleshipping. Um, there was a game when I was growing up called battleship. And if you put two laptops, uh, face-to-face. It reminded me of that game. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so we call it that. But that's that idea that you don't have to have a reason to, you know, meet up if you just like each other's company and you have both of things to get done. Um, that could be reason enough to stay in touch. Um, but, you know, you talk about masterminds a couple of times. What kind of masterminds? I mean, th- the word gets used in a lot of different ways. So I'm curious what your experience has been with masterminds and how you have found the masterminds that you've been a part of.
1: Yes. So the first mastermind I was part of, um, kind of came out of this business where I also did the grant writing workshop. So this business owner decided that what it really takes is for people to adjust their mindsets, you know, and beliefs, um, Because a lot of what blocks people, it's like the same things that block people from selling, right? I mean, grand trading is nothing else than selling your stuff. And so a pretty small group of people came together to really dive deeper into that and also take it to a more spiritual level. And we stayed together probably, I think, for three, four years. Well, so, time. Yeah. and we, we met two or three times a year for retreats. So pretty deep relationships developed during that time. And since then I've joined this mastermind with um, Paya and Mary, and I've met really interesting women through that mastermind.
0: Yes. That's Mary Williams, Sensiblewoo.com. We'll put a link in the show notes so you can learn more about all the programs that she offers And Mary is also my, I call her my systems and processes coach. (laughs) Cause (laughs) like you, she likes that kind of thing. And it's helpful for me to have someone else to bounce ideas off of as I'm business keeps growing and innovating and changing and to have, um, Mary and pay on my team has been really, really a gift. Um, I'm, how many people were part of this mastermind that you were participating in over these three or four years?
1: It varied a little bit. I would say we were a core of like six to eight people who mm-hmm. stayed on for a longer period of time. Um, we were up to 12 people at some point, but it was fairly small.
0: Yeah. I'm. But I mean, enough variety that you really mm-hmm. are meeting different kinds of people and then they have their own connections. I think a lot of times people really don't know where to start when they're trying to expand their network in this way. Particularly if you're in, like I, I have a friend who was in corporate and she stumbled her way into entrepreneurship and joined an online community that I was a part of. And when I met, you know, I invited her to get on a call with me and she assumed I was going to pitch her something. <laughs> um, and I asked her questions about her business model and what she was doing and how I can help. And she and I became friends and she told me that she was so bewildered by the whole thing because in corporate, like, People won't help each other like that. She's like, I didn't know what to do with that. I just, she's like, I came into the conversation feeling really defensive and like, I don't want to get sold anything. And, and then in the end, I was like offering to help her with things. So within like, I would say six months, she started posting, Hey, folks, if I can help in any way, like, let me know. Here are some things I know I've learned and I know things about. And, you know, from my work, my previous work, even. But at first, like, it didn't even dawn on her to do that. And I think that when you have these different cultural moments, it can really, it's a, it is a rewiring in your brain to know what to expect and to, and to have a community around you. Have you, have you along the way, like found any mentors? Like are people who particularly look out for you?
1: Yes. Um, Several mentors actually. And I feel like there is, there's like different, types of mentors you know some are kind of in the in the arena that you're playing in and they can give advice because they are a few years ahead sometimes they are in other arenas and that's helpful because you want to bring this piece to your business or to your career and then of course they are they are coaches and I have hired coaches who then later became friends so, or, or mentors, you know, people who I can call and ask a question or say, you know, I'm, I'm having this big challenge here. What do I do? Um, and also, you know, from my academic, academic career path, there are people who I'm able to reach out to and ask. I'm actually like constantly looking for mentors because I think modeling is, is big as long. So, you know, modeling what somebody does who's successful, as long as you can really pinpoint why they are successful.
0: So it's interesting. I mean, partly it sounds like you're, you're able to um, attract mentors because you're also on the lookout for mentors. So that seems like an important place to start Um, and to, and to know kind of what that relationship could look like. So when you're, like when you're setting up a, a, this kind of mentor relationship, is it formal? Do you actually tell them that yeah, Hey, you're my mentor or will you be my mentor? Or is it ca- more casual? Like, do you have a, a frequency of meeting? Like, or does it change depending on the person?
1: Um, so I would say my most formal mentors are probably paid coaches. So, and then there's a structure in place My informal mentors, I would say this relationship really is more informal. I will go to them when there is like a reason, you know, like either there's a challenge or ideally, you know, you ask for advice before there's a big challenge. Mm -hmm. But I try to hone these relationships and make sure that I give before I have to ask for something, you know. So, so that it really is a mutual relationship where it doesn't, doesn't just feel like you're sucking the life or energy or time out of them.
0: What are some ways you've found to, to give uh, to someone who might have a mentor role with you?
1: That's funny because just yesterday I had a discussion with my team and I asked them what makes them feel to like feel part of the team And several people said, you know, it makes me feel part of the team when I'm needed. And um, then there is acknowledgement that I've helped. So when people say, thank you, like as simple as that. And I feel like sometimes just, you know, going out there and like, for example, in academia, you know, quite hierarchical. And I've read so many times, it's lonely at the top. And I don't, I don't really believe that, you know, but I think it can be perceived as that. And just like going out there and saying, thank you, you know, you're doing an awesome leadership job. is some, is like a small way in which you can serve, you know, just acknowledging the other person.
0: Mm. Right. That sometimes the, we don't, it's almost like kids with parents, like kids never say thank you for making dinner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> they just like eat it. Um, and, and like the same way, like if you have someone who's doing a good job leading, acknowledging that and appreciating that it, at any point, I mean, even I, I, um, I always think about any content creator, anyone who's putting good content out. If I learn something, if I find it beneficial, like I then think about how to share it. And actually one of the things I started doing with Paya in the last, I don't know, maybe a year is we do now a follow Friday. Um, Every Friday, I find someone in my network that I want to give a shout out to. And it's like a thoughtful write up and it directs people to connect with them around something that they're doing. It could be their YouTube or their LinkedIn or podcast or some resource that they have in the world. And I don't tell them in advance. (laughs) I don't say like, hey, I'm going to be sharing this with, you know, I just sort of, we just do it. And the response has been really wonderful because people don't expect that. And it's, it's not like they first put out content that I then even shared. It's like, we made, an, we made something for them. Um, so is there, I'm sort of curious, you know, there's a, there's a bigger network that you have and you've now met a lot of people in the last you know, couple, uh, 15 years or so that you've met both in academia and in the world of business. You've got your sort of inner circle of people that, you know, you're staying in touch with. But then when you think about your second and third layers or tiers of of the, of the that network, the people that, you know, you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago on a project, but you're not right now. And these are people you like, I should just say, these are people you like. How do you think about staying in touch? Like, you know, if, if it's someone who maybe was part of that mastermind, but you're no longer doing that, like, is there some way that you're trying to stay connected and nurture those sort of weaker connections?
1: I think those, like a lot of what I do is also on social media, giving shout out to people or sharing what they have to say or what they are putting out there. Uh, I think that's one thing maybe like a little bit more on a superficial level Sometimes, you know, I will be like, hey, this is the person I haven't talked to in a while. It would be really nice to reconnect and set something up, you know, reach out, set something up. Um, We're we're kind of maybe a little Zoom tired, so (laughs) try to avoid that kind of um, avenue. But I also text people. Um, Like I try to make a point of texting people regularly and just trying to, you know, maintain a relationship in that way. I do also love connecting people. And I think that's another way of like staying connected in a more indirect way. Maybe that's something that also comes naturally to me. Like somebody will say, I have this problem and this other person pops into my mind who I heard of doing something like that three years ago. And so I will put them in contact.
0: Yeah, that... It hasn't come up in a while on this show, and it's a really good point to underscore that helping two people in your world connect with each other is a way to stay top of mind with both of them while providing, hopefully, the kind of resource or connection that they would benefit from. Um, And it sounds like a lot of this is a little bit intuitive for you. Uh, You know, if you think of someone, you reach out, you text, you set up a call. You make introductions happen. Do you have any systems or processes that you, because you, I know you like that kind of thing as well. Yeah. Do you have a list of people, or a spreadsheet, or CRM, or like, is there any way you're managing this? Just um, so it's not just loosely based on who you remember.
1: Uh, no, not right now. But I got very excited when just a little while ago I learned about the gift or, or the the art of gift giving, you know? And so we started a Excel sheet, then my virtual assistant and I for our clients first, but I really like the idea of expanding that to other people in the network.
0: One of the things I started doing about, I don't know, maybe last, sometime last year, um, postable.com has an, a free online address book and so, at first, I was just like, "Well, this is a useful way for me to gather contacts that aren't, you know, not necessarily clients. Um, they're colleagues." Like I was like initially, I was just thinking about a way to stay in touch with colleagues. And I also have been asking people for their their uh, their birthday and their mailing address for this podcast for a long time, but I wasn't doing anything with it. And I wanted to kind of come up with a plan. And so, once I had the address book in place, I finally was like, "Oh, wait." Postable.com is trying to get me to buy their cards. (laughs) And I have a block around writing cards. Like I just find that it just, I just don't get it done. (laughs) I could have a stack of cards and stamps and a pen and I just won't get to it. But I now have time set aside where I look through the upcoming birthdays. Um, I'll send a card, but if I see something happening, maybe someone commented on LinkedIn about something going on in their life. I, if I have their address, like sympathy cards or congratulations cards or just because or thinking of you. And over time, it's become a habit now. It's like, at first, I had to come up with a little bit of a structure around it. But now I just, I don't hesitate now to to get a card out there. And it's the unexpected. I think that, you know, nowadays, getting things in the mail is just really nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so that, that's, I mean, like you, I was just trying to find a way to expand, expand this out a little bit. And I could, I actually realized the other day that I need to put some of my closest friends on that list because um, their birthdays come and go. And I'm like, oh, wait, did I do anything other than like, send them a text? Like, why? wait, I could have done more, you know, I could send them a gift. Um, yeah, it's really fun. And I want to actually give a shout out to my friend, Melissa Smith, because during the, during the uh, pandemic, she and I have known each other for years but she sent a, a bunch of unsolicited gifts uh, to me. One of them was even for my kids. Um, sometimes they were in appreciation because I had made a referral for her. And so because I made a referral, then she sent something. Sometimes they were just like a card congratulating me on my success, a handwritten card saying like, I'm so excited for all the things that are happening in your life. Like, um, and, I, and like there's usually at least one card on my desk from her, <laughs> which has been really lovely. And I just was like, wow, knowing how that feels, I want to make sure I'm paying that forward too. And don't let my own block around writing handwritten cards be in the way. So workarounds are important. Um, is there anything else that's coming to mind that that's something that you you do that you think others would benefit from? Is there a tool that you use or anything that you do to kind of stay in touch? It sounds like texting was a big part of it.
1: Texting is a big part of it. The research community really stays in touch on Twitter, as weird as that may sound, but we call it academic Twitter. It's a big thing. People share their their open positions there. They share their publications there. They share their thoughts, personal stuff. And so that's really a a good way of staying in touch for this community.
0: Yeah, that's smart. So in some ways, figuring out where the people play and and engaging in those spaces on a regular basis, because you could know that and then not do anything about it, but because you do know and you're participating, you're now part of those conversations yourself. Um, I, I have like a wrap-up question for you. It's one of my favorite questions to ask. So we're now connected. We've got some really fun people in common. Um, again, shout out to Mary and Paya. Uh, So let's say it's a year from now and I realize it's been a year since this conversation. And I say to you, Hey, you know, what are we celebrating? Like what's happened in the past year? I want to know what we're going to be toasting. What, What are you looking forward to the most in the year ahead?
1: So I'm building another program that helps research team leaders learn techniques to manage their teams. And what I'm super excited about that, or why I'm super excited about that is, you know, there are so many management trainings out there in the world that businesses and corporations use routinely, but there's very little that really applies to this kind of odd um, world of research and so I'm taking this and I'm making it fit our world. And in that way, you know, serving serving more clients, that's something that I'm also really looking forward to. So using my system building abilities um, to grow this business and, you know, make it not just about how much time I can put in it, but I've been able to recruit some fantastic contributors. And scaling that is something that I'm like really fired up about right now. And then in terms of our research, I have a fantastic team that I just moved to another university. And so we're rebuilding and we're getting integrated into the community here and are pursuing some really interesting projects. So that's something that I'm also really... Really looking forward to
0: doing more. I can't wait. Yeah. It sounds like you're going to have a lot to celebrate. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. So how can people find you and follow your work?
1: Yes. So I have a website, stephanierobel.com and on Twitter. (laughs) Also, Stephanie, like Twitter handle, Stephanie Robel.
0: Awesome. I will put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Stephanie. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 283. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And as I mentioned at the top of this episode, my new membership group got off to a great start. I'm excited to share that over 70 people have joined the Content End Connection Club, an intentional community of abundant-minded entrepreneurs where you can ask questions, get support, find friends, make referrals, and celebrate your wins. For just $25 a month, you get access to thousands of dollars of content you can dive deeper into at any time guidance for me on which topic you personally should focus on each month. No more bad zoom virtual happy hours every Friday, every single week at 5 PM. Eastern online discussion forums on topics that will help you grow your business, ongoing training and tips from me on the topics you request and answers to your specific questions during the extensive live Q and a sessions every Friday. Yes. Just $25 a month, and half the proceeds will be donated to Feeding America to support our neighbors facing food insecurity. Are you ready to join the Content and Connection Club? Sign up at contentandconnectionclub.com, and we can hang out every Friday. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself, so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.